Welcome to the APS Soup to Nuts podcast, where we explore the Attleboro Public Schools in greater depth. I'm David Sawyer, superintendent, and with me today are three people who are devoted to promoting reading. We're here to discuss its importance to our students. They are Crystal Brown, children's librarian at the Attleboro Public Library, Donna Goldstein, K-12 Humanities Coordinator here at APS, and Kelly Reed, English Department Coordinator at AHS. Crystal, Donna, Kelly, welcome. Thank you, Morning. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourselves, your roles, and your connection to Attleboro. Um, I am Crystal Brown. I have been the children's librarian at the Attleboro Public Library. I've been over there since uh, 2000, and I took the role of head children's librarian a few years later in 2003. So I live in Attleboro. I have kids in the Attleboro school system. So as that both the uh, citizen and as a librarian, reading is very, very important to me. I would imagine. Yes. <laughs> Hi, this is Donna Goldstein. Uh, like Crystal, I live and work in Attleboro. I um, began my career at Attleboro Public Schools in 2008. I started as a classroom teacher at Wamsada Middle School. And then a few years later, I became a literacy coach over at Coelho Middle School. And for the past few years, I've had the opportunity to work out of central office as the humanities coordinator. Like Crystal, I'm an avid reader. Um, all, everyone in my family is. We, uh, we believe in books. We enjoy strolling around a bookstore or a library. It's a great way to spend time. And it's always a pleasure to talk about reading and its importance. So I'm glad to be here. Uh, hi, I'm Kelly Reed. I uh, started my career in Attleboro Public Schools in 2002, so this is my 17th year here. Um, I also uh, live in Attleboro with my husband, and we have two children in the Attleboro Public School System at Thatcher Elementary. Um, I have uh, then I started my career as an English teacher right out of college, um, and then I um, became the English department coordinator uh, two years ago now. This is my second year. Um, and it is kind of a mission of the English department at Edward High School to uh, encourage a love of reading in students uh, and to um, get reluctant uh, readers to find, you know, re, uh, to find a passion for reading and maybe uh, rededicate themselves to reading. So that's uh, kind of a big part of the work that we do at the high school. Well, I'd just like to say that I think uh, Attleboro is very lucky to have such uh, talented and dedicated uh, educators serving our children, and uh, it's just really a pleasure to be with here with you this morning. Um, as superintendent, I think a lot about our work as a district uh, and the education we provide, and I worry about whether we are focused on the right things. Um, it seems to me that if there is any one thing that pays the greatest dividend, um, it would be sharing the love of reading with our students. Um, am, am I right to worry about whether or not we're teaching our students to, to be readers? And uh, if so, why do you think this is a challenge? Uh, that's a really good question. I, I think in some ways adults are always battling with youth in some way to make sure they get what's good for them. Um, I think our particular times are have an increased challenge for students in terms of so much of their attention can understandably want to be drawn toward technology. It's sparkly and fleshy and immediate and very fun. And while reading is also a great amount of fun, it can be a little bit more of a slow burn. And um, so we're, we're competing with that. But the power within reading is once you can get people hooked, they, they are, they're hooked for a lifetime. So it, it's always that adult uh, child, I think, type of interaction. No, this is really good for you, but we always have to couch it in fun. I think one of the best things, and I think the ladies would totally agree with me, 
is showing students, showing our own children that we are readers in multiple ways. It doesn't mean sitting with a four pound thick novel. It's we read in our daily lives, we read in our professional lives, and we read for pleasure too. And seeing how that all is interwoven is um, important. And I think one of the challenges that we face, not just in education, uh, but in uh, society as a whole, is we have to show that reading can be fun. It's not just work. Uh, kids think of school as their job, as they should, but when they're constantly here, well, you have to do your reading for homework, and you have to do reading for this test, and you have to take these standardized tests and read these passages and analyze them. It kind of gives the impression that reading is work, and it shouldn't necessarily be that, and we need all those things in our education. However, we also need to show that, yes, you, you have to read, but you can also find the enjoyment in reading in other ways. So I think that's one of the challenges we face. Yeah, I'd like to kind of echo what Crystal uh, was saying there. I think at the high school level, we really feel that pressure of, you know, as uh, MCAS is a graduation requirement and making sure kids are prepared for that and are able to get over that hurdle. How do we balance out um, the kind of academic uh, skills that students need, um, whether it is, you know, analyzing rhetoric or, you know, um, you know, just kind of being able to be critical readers and, and comprehend what they're reading with, you know, um, making room in our curriculum for just independent reading and instilling that love of reading within kids. Because I do think that that comes from being able to choose your own text, being able to, um, you know, find works that interest you and, you know, and you can um, just dive into fully and um, that's not always the experience within, I think, a academic setting. I think it's a lot of teacher-driven um, choice um, for what kids read, and that's not a bad thing, you know. Uh, but it, how do we, how do we bring that balance of um, students getting to pursue their own interests uh, through reading um, while also, you know, exposing them to things that they might not themselves know exist or you know um, know are maybe you know kind of good for them in terms of pushing their thinking, pushing their um, learning. So I think that's always the kind of the delicate balance that we're trying to um, to find. And I don't know that we do, uh, you know, I don't think we found the right answer yet. Um, I think we've been pretty for the last, at least, you know, since I've been a teacher here in the district, you know, it's, um, it's one pretty teacher-centered um, in terms of the instruction that we have. But it is a conversation that we're currently mm -hmm. having, and I think that's a yes. good one. Um, as we, you know, the district is really focused on relevance um, and providing kids with um, you know, kind of meaningful learning experiences that um, I think it you know kind of naturally drives that conversation towards like how can we put not just reading and not just text in the hands of kids that is meaningful to them, but just kind of all of their learning. How do we kind of drive that towards the things they're interested in? So, I think from a professional perspective, I think the schools have done a great job evolving over the last bunch of years in that so I have just recently visited all the elementary schools to talk about summer reading and um, in the elementary school level it's all suggested reading and I try to get across to them that it's suggested reading but we just want you to keep reading um, it's important to keep reading and then when I hit the fourth graders and I talk about the have to you have to read a book this summer but it's only one and we still want you to read anything and then when you get to the high school level and they have a great variety now that much much better than even five six years ago when 
the lists were so concise and so, nope, these are the books you have to read. So I think that the schools have done a great job evolving with their summer reading lists. And yes, you have to read something, but we're going to give you a, a big variety of choices. And I, I think that's great. I think that just shows that uh, the schools are willing. They're willing to bend and they're willing to look at more than just, oh, it has to be this literary text. No, you can find these books and you can enjoy reading these books and yet you can still get something out of them. And I think, you know, I, you know, that was something that was really important to us. So in putting together the summer reading, um, we talked to a lot of kids and we um, at the high school and we got their and um, their feedback on what they wanted to see and choice was just huge I mean just the ability to be able to choose what they wanted to read and what they wanted to pursue but they also liked the idea of having you know if they weren't able to kind of think their own books having you know some suggested readings um, but you know kind of taking that and going back to Dave's question of you know are we doing a good job should we be worried um, you know, even with the increase in choice, we're not seeing a huge, you know, uh, an increase in participation, right? And there, there's always this kind of pushback at the high school level on kind of, you know, participating in summer reading and and viewing it as a chore, as work. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's our that's our challenge. And I was thinking about what John was saying about uh, the ubiquity of technology and having these kind of just, you know, uh, reading is an escape. But if you have access to, you know, this other, uh, you know. Um, avenue of escape that is is just right at your fingertips through your phone you can watch netflix you can play games you can snapchat you can do all these things um that you know in our immediate and um you know i think that is definitely you know um, something that we're com we're combating but there's also this piece i think in modern society of kids are being you know are uh, a lack of downtime you know they're is just, you know, kids are uh, involved in a thousand activities and sports go all year and, you know, and um, I feel like I came to reading because, you know, I spent my summers with my grandma and, you know, there was downtime and so there, she had a ton of books and I just like gravitated towards that and there wasn't anything else just, you know, trying to get my attention and so I think that I just delved into books and was able to do that and I think that's an important piece of that is how much are we offering kids just those moments to sit and be quiet and be reflective and have like nothing else to do and you know and discover what it's like to to find a book that you really connect to so um, I just want to kind of put out that another challenge that I see is um, are we offering are we offering kids that downtime both in the school day but also in um, our, our lives outside of school. Yeah, I, I also think so. I could not agree more. We live in highly reactive times, but reading is a process that is more reflective. And again, that, that takes time that we may have gotten out of practice um, being accustomed to. I, I think we are trying to walk a dual line where we um, are making sure that students have choice but within the choice we're also putting on our teacher hats to really try and curate opportunities where there's a current phrase right now that I kind of like that captures it where the the reading or the suggestions that we put out there offer children both windows and mirrors so they can see a broader world because it can be a tremendous form of equity in some ways in terms of experience but also some mirrors because there are many parts of our student population that don't really feel like they see ourselves reflected or considered important so we're trying to do multiple things at one time position reading as important position all of our community members as important and facilitate larger conversations of people having things in common so there are just so many layers of this going on but at the end of the day despite all of the challenges and complications we might 
bump up against, we continue to push with it because we have to make reading important because if someone, if we don't continue to make it important, it, it is a little bit dangerous, Dave, to your point. It could fade to a corner where only those who have made it important wield a tremendous amount of influence and that that's not a good position. Very literate people are the decision makers and we want our children to be able to walk away and be informed enough to make their own decisions. So, so <clears throat> I'm hearing that uh, you know this is something that we, we put a lot of effort into mm -hmm. um, and we're making progress but that despite our best efforts we aren't reaching everyone yet and so in that way the challenge is real. Um, so I guess my question would be, you know, should families share our concern about this? And if so, you know, what case can we make to them that uh, this is something that they should be really concerned about? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think um, we can all agree that it starts at home because uh, literacy skills start before you can read. Literacy skills start with just talking to your child right from the get-go. That's how literacy starts. It starts with talking and the back and forth and the give and take and then it starts by reading to your child and just having them handle a book you know and we have those books those board books that are meant for babies and yes they put them in their mouths but that's how they are exploring the world and then literacy skills are not just reading but it's also writing and it's also <clears throat> group play and negotiating and how do you play together and how do you come to uh, if you don't agree on something how do you meet in the middle so it's all those executive skills it's not just sitting down and reading a book literacy starts before that and that starts at home yeah. it starts before preschool it starts right from birth so it's very important I think for families uh, to realize that um, you need to start right from the get-go it's not just okay, well, we don't have time to sit down for 20 minutes every day and read. It's everything that you do. It's everything when you're out and about and, oh, that's a stop sign. And I know that because I can read the letters. It's, it's definitely when you go to the zoo and you're reading the captions to your kids, it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be a formal education, sit down and let's focus on this now. It's everywhere. Language-rich environments are really what are going to um, position students the best for success in school in language-rich environments. That's where we can harness technology and television. But it, it's, it's because and, um, an interested adult or an invested adult needs to be there to capture that moment. What do you think that word means? That's a fun one to say. Let's say it together. Can you think of one that rhymes with it? No one needs formal training for this. They're the natural opportunities, but you really do need to be present and you need to talk to your children and listen. Actually, I read a great quote one time that said reading is a form of listening. It's a form of listening to the, the person who wrote the words. You consider their opinions. So I just think we need to look at it differently rather than slide a book off the table and say, you are responsible, and that we begin to see the communal responsibility. If we want strong communities, we all, we all play a role in supporting that. And we try to work cooperatively that, um, in ways in which uh, literacy is promoted in multiple modes, whether they're visual, whether they're textual, whether they're um, technology-driven, but ways in which students are engaged. What do you think about that? What have you heard about that? How do you know that? Um, those, are, those are all basic forms of literacy, literacy that will help kids develop kids more strongly, develop skills more strongly on their own. And I think that it's important to note that 
um, you talked about how you don't have to be an expert, but I do think it can be really intimidating, particularly mm -hmm. if your your child um, doesn't naturally kind of gravitate towards you know reading and um, you know any of. Um, and so if you're not, you know, an educator, if you're not, this isn't a background, it can be like, a, I think an overwhelming task. Sure. And, um, so that help kind of is out there though in the community. Uh, you know, I know that as um, a community member, I use the Attleboro Public Library a lot with my kids and just being in a space that has books and my, you know, truth be told, my daughter who does love to read, doesn't often like go wander the bookshelf. She like plays on the computers there, but the computers have, you know, literacy games and, you know, things like that. And it's just being in a space where she knows who the librarian is. And if she's curious, she knows that, you know, she can go talk to the person at the desk and they'll help her find things. And, um, you know, I think it's just exposing kids to the environments that, um, you know, when they're ready or if they're curious, they know who to ask. And so parents don't have to do this all by themselves. And I think it's okay to just kind of, you know, show up to like, you know, ask your kid's teacher or go to the library um, and ask, you know, hey, my kid's really interested in science, but I don't have any clue where to begin to, you know, help them find what they need. So uh, patrons are, are very, very surprised, especially um, when they first moved to town, that we have programs right from birth. And they, well, my child's not going to sit still. And to talk them through it, say, it, I don't expect them to sit still. That's not what this is here for. We're here in a group so that they can see other kids, they can see other adults, they can interact. They hear me singing, they hear me reading. Even if they're running around the room, they can still hear me. And in a group of 20 kids, 20 adults, there is always at least half of the kids are looking at me. And they're toddlers, they're, they're preschoolers, they don't have a long attention span, but when they stop and look at me, and then the, and it's always in shifts, and their parents are always very, very hesitant to come to the library with their uh, toddlers and babies because they are, they're afraid they won't be quiet, they won't sit still. And I come right out and say, that's not what I expect. I want them to be in the library. I want them to hear me reading. I want them to hear me singing. I want them to see you listening to me read and sing and singing along with me and know that the library is a fun place and it's a comfortable place and it's a place that you're welcome. And that's the whole, that's how we get them in. That's how we say, you should be comfortable in the library. Absolutely come and ask me, I am here for you. So once, I think parents or caregivers come down a little bit and they see, oh, it, it really is okay. It really is okay if she is not sitting on my lap, if he is uh, crawling back and forth and not seeming to pay attention. They do stop and they listen and uh, caregivers are often surprised that at home when they hear their little ones start singing the songs, they're flabbergasted. Well, he never stopped and, and paid attention, but he is. You know, he is paying attention. He can hear. He knows what's going on. I think this is where, it, it, it maybe it's a generational piece, but I think this is where we get, um, there's a perception that compliant behavior is is a good thing, but really what we're looking for is exploratory behavior. Yeah, and again, we're absolutely. still the grown-ups in the room, so I, I <coughs> say that with some, you know, cautious boundaries. But still what we're trying to encourage, we want children to be wide readers to read outside of that's how you learn new things but it's this tension between compliance and exploration that parents and educators we're still grappling with too but we 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 acknowledge the importance and we're working within those boundaries to to make things better yeah and i i, I really appreciate uh, um, what we're saying here because i you know i have a librarian and two ela educators so I think a lot of people could say, well, it's you know easy for you guys to say this is what you need to do, but I can tell you firsthand is, uh, in, in you know in my house, 
you know, we're educators, but it's, you know, math and history. And so, you know, my two boys, uh, you know, they don't, they don't take naturally to reading and it's, it's been a bit of a struggle. So it's, I think it's, it's really important and great to hear you say that, you know, uh, you don't have to be an expert uh, to make a difference and to, to have a contribution. And I'd also like to add that, you know, this message is for our, edu- our you know, brethren as educators who can contribute uh, even if they're not English teachers too. And that doesn't mean that we expect them to suddenly become experts in how to teach reading. That's not what they're here to do, but they do have a role to play in supporting the, the overall effort. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to uh, help explain uh, what I mean by that. Yes, yeah, so can I, I'll start at a, at a very specific level and, yep. and branch out. So just what you were mentioning, David, about within your own home, and I know understand your background in social studies, but what, what a spark to ignite because of the interest and the understanding that you have to turn someone on to um, a biography or a certain period in time or a certain tendency of human development, that could bring someone in because you understand and that, that you make things interesting to other people. Um, I think as parents, we can, or caregivers, we can begin to bring that in, that we don't have to come at it as an expert, come at it as a reader. Mm-hmm. We need to take that, again, it's that compliant versus exploratory. Let's just explore. Let's just have a con. Our, some of our strongest teachers are reading in the district will tell you that's how they approach their students. Come on, readers. Um, they bring it to a community of readers where everyone, it's a, it's a, everyone's on the horizon level. There is no vertical. And it, I think it's, and it's not just semantics. It's, yeah. it's real. So, it, you know, even where I don't have expertise, I can always still share my curiosity. You can, yeah. absolutely. And I think that's absolutely. huge because I was just thinking about it when you, with what you're, what you're both saying. Like, I think getting a kid to invest in reading really just starts in that world of curiosity and wonder and absolutely. paying attention yeah. to what they're interested in, um, you know, and mm-hmm. trying to hook them up with, you know, um, material that they can read about it and dig yeah. more into because that's where you're going to have like less of a barrier like we have to get away from i think as parents as teachers as um you know that oh there's like good books to read and bad books to read good thing like that you know if your kid is really into gross bugs then find gross bug books and it's cool like they don't need to be reading shakespeare like read you know about the or you know fart jokes are really big in my house like you know they my son loves captain underpants like and i you know and there was a time in my life where i was you know i think that's like the you know, the, the books you should be reading and the books that are going to push you. But it's so much more important, I think, as, as I've come to understand, for kids to just read in general. They yes. will get to the place where they can read diff, more difficult texts yes. if they if we can get them to just not be so resistant to reading in general. And I think that is really where we dive into knowing your kid, knowing your students. Mm-hmm. So for, you know, our colleagues who are not, you know, in the, you know, um, yeah, in the ELA department or whatever, I think it's just... You know, when you establish good relationships with kids, when you talk to them, when you find out, oh, this kid is really into baseball or this kid loves carpentry, um, finding material for them to read and finding, you know, things to, or articles or, you know, blogs that you really like about, you know, you know, X, Y, and Z and showing them that there is a vast 
there's multiple entry points. It doesn't have to just be like, you know, uh, a novel. It can be, you know, texts exist everywhere. Kelly, you are right up on my soapbox with me because uh, I have so many, so many times I hear, well, sure, you can take that graphic novel, but you need to take a real book too. Or you're too old for picture books. And that just kills me. It kills me because the graphic novels, the, you're reading the words, but the stories are also telling the picture. Uh, selling the story, sorry. Um, the pictures are, are supporting the story and they're there to support the words. And with picture books, the picture books topple, t- uh, tackle topics that go all the way up through sixth grade. They talk, they talk about, some of them talk about the Holocaust and they talk about uh, what is a victory garden and uh, they just talk about uh, one parent has is deceased or left the house. So there are these topics that are, are talked about in picture books that are meant for older kids. Histories, mysteries type of thing, you know, the history of Roanoke. It's in a picture book and it's fantastic. Um, and we have, there's that misconception a lot with the, well, there are pictures, so it's not a real story. Or there are pictures, so that's a baby book. And graphic novels aren't real books because there are pictures in it. So I, I think people need to realize that there is such a wide variety of it's fine to read as long as you are reading. And I tell kids that when I go to the schools, if you like to read mere magazines, if you like to read uh, the newspaper, whatever you like to read, read it. That's that's what we want. And another uh, part of that is audiobooks. The you know studies have shown that when you were listening to an audiobook, the same parts of your brain light up as when you are reading on your own. You know, it's great to pair the two of them, but to just listen to an audiobook, if you have a kid who likes to fiddle, likes to build with their Legos, or they like to color, then just put an audiobook on. There is no, there's no shame in that. It's, it's fine. They're still getting that literacy piece of it. So <clears throat> to shift a little bit here, I mean, it's pretty clear that uh, we care about reading. And I think historically, um, as, a, as an educational institution, schools have cared about reading because as kids get older, they need to read to learn. Um, but um, as we clarify what our, our long-term objectives are, right, and what, you know, what are we trying, how are we trying to educate students, and what kind of adults are we trying to, to set them up to be, um, it seems to me that we're making the case that reading has value beyond just being successful in school, and that for, you know, most people at some point formally end their education. Um, some people luckily get to live their whole lives in that world, but um, most people end up moving beyond school and into life. And I think we're saying that we want them to be readers too. Uh, so, you know, what's our case for why that's important to, to be a reader as an adult? I, I think it, it points to personal growth. It enhances relationships. It helps you to be a more informed in um, participatory citizens so you you're not a victim of other people's ideas or other people's power sometimes as much you can have your own voice and know how to use it i think it keeps you interesting and it keeps you humble it reminds you that there's always so much more cool stuff to find out you know i think you know as someone who spends a lot of her day with high schoolers i see um the effect of our kind of modern world on you know their um you know social emotional health um they're constantly connected and as they go into adulthood they're going to you know again be constantly connected and 
Um, we live in a really fast-paced society, and what I was saying before about that idea of downtime and disconnecting, I think, has tremendous benefits for us uh, in our emotional well-being and our psychological well-being, and just you know, really, if we can instill in kids. Um, the value of just sitting quietly and like concentrating on like a book or like uh, and, and disconnecting from um, their digital world. I, I think that um, we are we would it would benefit them tremendously. Um, and it's something that I really tried to talk through with my own students. It's, um, you know, and um, kids who, you know, will uh, humor me and, and try will will talk about, you know, feeling just like that stress leave them when they have to shut off their phone or they do whatever. And I, um, I think as adults, we don't necessarily, um, really appreciate how much that world is like, you know, uh, impacting them. And, um, if we can help them find ways to cope with that and just, you know, and, and, and put some controls over it and, um, you know, and show them outlets that are a little bit different, I think that is, uh, you know, uh, an important piece of being a kind of a healthy adult. So, um, so I, I just think there's quite a bit of research emerging about the value of reading to adults. Uh, to summarize, you know, it, it seems that there's good reason to believe that reading makes people healthier, smarter, uh, and just better people, you know, more humane, um, better members of society. So I would encourage people to, to go on the internet and look it up. It's, it's not hard to find. Um, and while it's certainly true that you could be healthy or smart or a good person without being a reader, um, I think anyone would be more of those things uh, if they added reading to their, their daily routine. All right, so to finish up, I, I just want to focus on the partnership between the schools and the library. Uh, Crystal, I can't say enough how happy we are and how much we appreciate how much of a, of a partner we have in the library and how much good work you've done in supporting what we're trying to do here. Um, and part of that, is our annual summer kickoff, uh, which is coming up uh, tomorrow. Um, so I, I, I just thought maybe you could uh, review for people all the various ways that you're supporting the schools and then maybe talk a little bit about the, the summer reading uh, events that you've got planned. Uh, well, uh, the library is happy to support the schools. That's one of our um, main jobs is to support the schools, support their curriculum, to support whatever the kids' interests are and how we can connect them to what they are learning in school. <clears throat> Um, and as for the kickoff, it, which is tomorrow, and it is supposed to rain a lot tomorrow, but we'll have <laughs> we'll have the whole thing inside. And we have a great. We started this, I think, four years ago, where it's the library and the schools and other agencies, the YMCA, Project Connect, Abacus. So it's a community-wide effort to bring this summer reading kickoff to let kids know, yes, school is done, summer is here, let's bring the fun um, into reading. And we have lots of programs that go on all summer long, and we do have things that focus on reading, like our tail wagging tutors, which uh, kids can make appointments to read to dogs, or our reading buddies, where we pair older kids and younger kids up. But we also have other programs that you might not immediately see as uh, literacy programs. For instance, we have an astronomer coming this year who will, uh, it's on a Monday night, and he'll bring his, uh, some of the members of his club, they'll bring their telescopes, they'll show us Saturn and Jupiter. Uh, we have programs where Oak Knoll comes over and they are talking about uh, animal night sounds and what we can listen for at night. So a lot of the programs we have uh, at the library are not strictly sit down, read this book, let's talk about it, or we're reading a book. And while we have those programs and we love those programs, those are our bread and butter at the library, we have 
we've we've expanded a lot. We've expanded a lot into the types of things we do, and we couldn't do as much as we could as much as we do without help from the school department. That's it's definitely uh, getting into the schools helps us. It helps the um, it helps the students. It's just a great uh, relationship. Well, we appreciate it, and uh, you know the, the students are the beneficiaries. But uh, um, it's really nice to uh, fulfill our goal to be better community members and to engage our community. And uh, it's been very uh, pleasant to have such a great partner in the in the library. Thank you. All right. Uh, any uh, final <coughs> thoughts uh, for our listeners before we wrap things up? Be a reader. That sums it up, though. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well, Crystal, Donna, Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today to discuss. Uh, this critical topic. Um, I'm inspired to redouble my efforts to lead a community of readers, and I know if I'm successful in advancing the cause, it will be in part due to the support of people like yourselves. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time, thank you all uh, to all of our listeners of the APS Soup to Nuts podcast. <laughs>